0: Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome to Prophecy Today. I need 90 minutes. If you'll give us that, I'll give you information from around the world. And I literally mean from around the world. We'll be in Europe, we'll be in the Middle East with our broadcast partners. And we're going to have a very important report from each one of them, which you need to hear. So keep the dial set right where it is. Thank you for joining us. We're going to be leaving. Judy and I will go down to Rainbow City, Alabama on Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and Tuesday. Looking forward to seeing you there at the Coosa Valley Baptist Church and Pastor John Ritchie inviting everybody to come join us. This is a very key time to study Bible prophecy. I have to commend the pastor for setting this up so that we could be there and give them from God's Word a scenario that seems to be unfolding today bit later, Winky Madad will join us here at the broadcast table. He has the latest on the Israeli elections, which take place next week. And then a brand new financial advisor is going to join us. And we're going to look at the coronavirus and what it is doing to the economies of the world, especially here in the United States. But right now we go to Ken Timmerman. We catch him in France. He's going to be traveling much in Europe. We'll try to catch him every time we have an opportunity to do that. But, uh, Ken, it looks like some very, very important situations unfolding there in Syria with Turkey, Russia, and Syria. And, in fact, Russia has just sent two of their warships with cruise missiles there into the coast of Syria. Talk to us, Ken, about what is going on.
1: Well, Jimmy, uh, first of all, I've got to really thank you for the coverage that you give to this issue. We don't hear that much about it in the national media in the United States. Uh, And I think it's really a shame that Americans are not being better served by their media. You You are filling that gap and helping to bring people news and information that they're really just not, it's not readily available. It's not on CNN or ABC or the the TV networks. So what happened this week, this was just Friday, the Russians have sent one of their newest, most powerful uh, warships, the frigate Admiral Makarov, off the coast of Syria. It's equipped, as you mentioned, with cruise missiles. These are missiles that can hit targets on the ground. That's their ground attack cruise missiles, giving them a deadly strike and a very accurate strike capability. And the reason the Russians have done this is to warn Erdogan, President Erdogan of Turkey, to back off in his attack in Idlib province in the northern part of Syria, which the Syrians are still claiming as their own and guess what it happens to be part of syria it's not part of turkey there are thousands of turkish troops now inside syria trying to essentially annex a part of syrian territory for turkey erdogan has moved in his jihadi groups uh, some of the jihadi terrorist groups he claims he's only moving in the so-called moderate ones But i got to tell you, Jimmy, try to find the difference between the moderate terrorists and the really Mm -hmm. radical terrorists. It it might just depend what side of bed they get up on the day or who they're looking at uh, across for them. But these guys are all on our most wanted list, the the terrorist groups that the Turks are supporting. And, And Russia's position is simply this. They say Syria for all of this for all the civil war all these years since 2012 of civil war is still a sovereign nation and they have the right under the u.n charter to defend their territory and that's what the syrian army is now doing with help from russia they're moving up towards idlib where the turks are ensconced and erdogan has gotten the surprise of his life for the past couple weeks to find that the russians are backing syria and not him
0: you know that's very interesting and in fact It means that Erdogan doesn't have too many options in this situation, except I understand he did warn and give a threat to the leader Bashar Assad of Syria, an ultimatum. What about that? Is this going to just continue to ratchet things up or will this settle it down?
1: Well, it would be, I don't know, kind of like uh, Little Cookie, the president of France, (laughs) giving an ultimatum to the Spanish government that he wants to annex part of the Pyrenees. I mean, it's absurd (laughs) for Erdogan to issue an ultimatum to the Syrian president because he wants to occupy the Syrian province of Idlib and install his own jihadi fighters there. I mean, look, Erdogan, you are correct about this. His options are narrowing. He's getting, I think jittery. I think he's losing his nerve here. He was not expecting to see the Russians back the Syrian army. On Thursday, 33 Turkish soldiers were killed in a Syrian government artillery attack. And why were they killed? They were camped in the same positions as the jihadi terrorist groups that Syria is trying to evict from its territory. So the Turks get all upset when the soldiers get killed. I understand that. But they get killed because they're, they're in the same positions with the jihadi groups, and Syria's defending its territory. So this is getting, I think, very tricky for
0: Erdogan. Yes, it is. Let me focus on another region there in the Middle East, Iran. They had elections earlier this week. Did it make any difference, the people going to the polls, or is it just the same old, same old?
1: Well, you know, you can argue both sides of that, and let me tell you why. It will make a difference to the extent that fewer people voted in these elections than in any previous elections since the Islamic State of Iran has been in existence in nineteen seventy nine. So the, the elections were widely boycotted. The opposition groups has, have called for election boycotts for twenty five years. And up until this year, nobody really listened to them. They thought, well, you know, this is for the Parliament, the Majlis, we want to have our people there. They do actually vote on a budget and they bring back the bacon to their districts. <laughs> it's, it's you know local politics mm-hmm. or national politics. But bringing money back to the districts, And people said, okay, we want to have our guys in those seats. But what happened was that the Guardian Council, which is an, a, a group set up by the Supreme Leader that reports to the Supreme Leader that vets candidates, and we have to put air quotes around that word, vets, candidates, what they do essentially is decide who they want to be in the parliament and who they absolutely don't want to be in the parliament. So they excluded 70 current members of Parliament from an opposing political faction, said, you can't run, you're not qualified to run for Parliament, and about 69,000 other candidates who are trying to run, and the ones who were allowed to stand for election were basically supporters of Khamenei, the hardliners, and the Revolutionary Guards. And overwhelmingly, the people of Iran said, forget this, this isn't an election, this truly is a selection, and we won't be part of it. Here's a number, in Tehran, the capital, 23% of mm. eligible voters actually showed up at the polls. That is a historic low. So will the new parliament itself make a difference? No, it's going to be same old. It'll support the government. It'll support whatever Hamenei says. It will be a true rubber stamp parliament. But could these elections make a difference? Yes, because they show the people of Iran they have limits, to what they will tolerate from this government in terms of suppression of their
0: liberties. I read something this weekend talking about the fact that the Revolutionary Guard, that was led, of course, by Soleimani, who was taken out by a special American ops team. And Salami, now who is the leader of the Guard, is suggesting that the Guard may take over, remove the religious leaders and make it a military-powered nation led like that. What do you know about that?
1: Well, you know, if Hamenei comes down with a coronavirus, uh, anything could happen. <laughs> uh, and, you know, I say that jokingly, but it's not really a joke. He is older and feeble, and uh, that is the population that is uh, most at risk with this virus. And the Iranians have had a death rate of around 15%, which is extremely high, It suggests that they are under-reporting the number of cases, because in China it's around 2%. Everywhere else in the world except the U.S., it's it's around 1% to 2% fatality. But in Iran, it's been over 15%. So uh, the Revolutionary Guards leaders, I'm sure, are looking to see how they will position themselves when Khamenei dies, whether he dies from the coronavirus or something else. Uh, I don't see them launching a coup at this point. But, Jimmy... Things are changing inside Iran. We need to keep close watch on it. Uh, I haven't yet seen uh, the kind of movement inside that would lead me to believe that a change is imminent, meaning in the next couple weeks or couple months. But the economy is so bad. Unemployment is off the charts, 40 to 50 percent. The GDP went down 7 to 8 percent last year and is going to nosedive even more this year. People are really fed up and there will be a trigger that sets them off. We just don't know what it is.
0: Saudi Arabia, you're talking about uh, the pandemic that may be happening across the world. We're not sure it's titled that quite yet, but Saudi Arabia has uh, decided to delay the Hajj, the pilgrimage to Mecca because of this. This is uh, this virus is causing some real changes in the world, isn't it?
1: It is, and good, good thing that the Saudis did that, and a very courageous move, because I'm sure they're going to take plaque from the Iranians, among others, for blocking access to the pilgrimage sites, which they are the custodians of the two holy mosques. But my goodness, when you have people coming from all over the world, what a incredible breeding ground for a pandemic yes. that would be so it's a good thing that they did that i have no idea when they were going to lift that ban well, i can add one thing for you jimmy on this i just came through the paris airport uh, today as we speak and maybe i saw a dozen people out of 10,000 wearing masks i asked a female police officer if she was worried and she she's eh, just stay healthy mm-hmm. and i said well aren't some of your colleagues wearing masks to protect themselves? You have flights coming in from Venice and from Milan. And she said, well, a lot of them have been canceled, but they were still calling flights from Venice and Milan where, where we know there have been cases of coronavirus. And she said, the police are forbidden to wear masks in public. It's a question of not alarming the public. So very interesting to watch this and see, uh, see if it takes off in, in France and places that have not closed their airports to traffic from affected
0: countries. Ken Timmerman on the ground with a report that is right on top of all the headline news items, geopolitical activities around the world. That's why we love to have a conversation with Ken. Hey, Ken, we'll talk to you again next week, wherever we find you in the world. Be safe there in France. We'll talk again next week. Thanks so
1: much, Timmy. God bless.
0: Going to take a quick break. When we come back, David Dolan has a Middle East news update for us. It's all ahead right here
2: Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy to understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, a chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy Young aid you in your understanding of this profound end times prophecy book that God has preserved in his scriptures for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Please call Joshua Travel today and see how we can make your trip extra special. Call 423-821-3635 or visit us online at joshuatravel.com.
0: Hi everybody, Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome back to Prophecy. Today, we have a Middle East news update from David Dolan. He's standing by. We'll get to him in a moment. Coosa Valley Baptist Church is where we're going to be this Sunday and then Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Uh, That's in Rainbow City, Alabama. And that's a location that uh, I don't think we've been there before. We're looking forward to the time with Pastor John Ritchie. He's invited everybody to come and be a part of what we are going to be doing, studying the prophetic scenario that is found in God's Word. So if you're in the listening area, We know we have a couple of networks that you can pick up at that location. And if you are hearing me on one of those networks, please be sure to come and join us at uh, the Coosa Valley Baptist Church, Rainbow City, Alabama, Sunday through Wednesday. All day Sunday, starting early in the morning. Well, David Dolan has a Middle East news update for us. He does this. And it's a great service to those of us who are students of Bible prophecy. That's one region of the world that is key in what does happen in the end times. So, David is invaluable, serving as a journalist there for over 35 years and can give us great insight. Number of things to talk to you about, David. Looks like Hamas in the Gaza Strip and Prime Minister Netanyahu are both standing up on their hind legs and beating their chest talking about the conflict that may well break into almost a full-fledged war. If everybody doesn't watch what's going on, the prime minister said they will go to war if Hamas can't, keeps sending those missiles and rockets in. Hamas leaders say if you kill any of our leaders, we will attack Tel Aviv. Talk to me about the situation.
3: Well, Jimmy, it's very tense indeed. The Israelis overnight on Thursday struck Syrian positions right next to the Golan Heights. Israeli helicopters bombed some Syrian positions. That's unusual. We're not sure exactly what was behind that. Earlier in the week, of course, we had the exchanges of rocket fire and Israel responding in Gaza, as you mentioned. But, Jimmy, it was mainly Islamic jihad, not Hamas, that was behind that round of rockets, nearly a 100 rockets fired into Israel over two days. The Israelis struck back hard, hitting all sorts of positions, and the prime minister did say that even if it would mean postponing this coming Monday's election, the Israeli army and military would respond fully if these attacks continued. Well, we had a a calm down after that. The rocket fire diminished and and ended, and Egypt got involved in all of that. But what the Israelis are worried about, Jimmy, is that Iran is behind this, Islamic Jihad is, of course, their closest Palestinian ally. They basically run Islamic Jihad. The Israelis, in response, not only bombed Gaza, but they bombed an Islamic Jihad base that is jointly shared with Iran south of Damascus. There are Palestinians up there plotting and planning. In fact, they have Islamic Jihad's headquarters, basically, are outside of Gaza and are up there. And they fear that the growing coronavirus crisis may prod this war along jimmy and uh, why well iran is hit hard by the virus itself but that's not the reason the reason is the price of oil is tanking it's down to forty four dollars from 63 just a month and a half ago when the crisis was at its peak between iran and the u.s soon after the bombing of the uh, u.s bases in iraq and of course the earlier targeted killing of uh... So it's it's dropping, and there are two countries that are particularly hurt by that. And one is Iran because it's already suffering great economic sanctions and and crisis, and the other is Russia, which relies very much on oil as its main source of foreign income. And so both countries would have a reason to stir up trouble, again stir up conflict in the region because it would have one of the benefits for them. It would raise the price of oil and increase their budgets. But of course. Iran is playing with fire there. If they ignite a war with Israel, they're going to get burned as well for sure.
0: Talking about the coronavirus, I understand there are several Israeli scientists who say that they could have a vaccine for this virus within three weeks and then have to go through all the bureaucratic activities to get it on the market. What do we know?
3: Well, Jimmy, actually, the Israelis already have the vaccine uh, for coronavirus in general. Particularly, it was developed to fight the bird flu, and that was a problem in Israel. It was in a lot of the chicken farms and that sort of thing and, and causing some harm some years ago. So they studied it and developed this vaccine to it. Uh, they now believe that it will work on the coronavirus it's about the same uh, transmission method as it w- is the bird flu they're saying it has the same components and they've been working feverishly to modify it slightly for human use and as you say they believe they could actually have this ready to go within about 3 weeks but the testing, the approval process is, of course, much longer than that. I would say, though, Jimmy, if it turns out that it really continues to spread in the Middle East region, and it is spreading pretty badly in places, particularly Iran, but Israel has about 400 people under quarantine. Now, they're not all sick by any means. A lot of them have just traveled to Israel from other places that are heavily infected with it, Italy and uh, South Korea and China in particular. But um, they do have cases, and of course they had some people on the, on the prince's uh, boat that was infected in Asia. So uh, they would release it, I think, in Israel as soon as they uh, can and make it available for the rest of the world if indeed they want it or need it, and it looks like it will be needed.
0: And the Jewish mind once again comes to the salvation of the basic world itself. God bless these Jewish people. David talked to me about the Trump peace plan. It's been very uh, provocative when it's been presented to the Israelis and also the Palestinians who have rejected it. But I'm hearing that there's a possibility the plan could actually take the Temple Mount away from the Muslims and give it to the Jews. In other words, they're going to transfer the site to Israeli sovereignty, remove the Jordanian custodial responsibilities, and in the ban on non-Muslim prayers. This could be a, a real change as it relates to the Temple Mount, couldn't it?
3: Well, it could, Jimmy, but uh, again, these plans are what the peace plan would uh, allow eventually are are just that. They're just proposals and plans. We certainly know the Arab world, the Muslim world, totally rejects any concept like that. And in fact, Thursday, we had uh, eight European ambassadors meet with Israeli officials in Jerusalem to condemn the plan, basically, and to warn Israeli leaders not to annex any territory, and uh, particularly not to build the new neighborhood that we talked about last week, south of Jerusalem near Har Homa, and and add any new residencies there. They came out very, very strongly against even that. Well, that's building a new community out in open desert land south of Jerusalem, between Bethlehem and Jerusalem, and they're opposing that. So what would they say to the Temple Mount? it being transferred to full Israeli control, it would create a huge upheaval. There's no question about it. It it can't, in my opinion, Jimmy, ever happen as part of any peace deal. It will never be agreed to by the Muslim world, never at all. It would only happen, in my estimation, in the midst of a war forced upon Israel. And, of course, that's as great a reality, probably a greater possibility, in fact, a probability as opposed to that we'll get a final peace accord that will give israel what it really really wants and that is full total sovereign control over all of jerusalem and judea and samaria at least a lot of israelis want that and the government does but you can't just declare that without there being a huge backlash
0: david uh, there was a report out of egypt this week that Hosni mubarak the former president of egypt has died Other leaders in Israel are making a statement that Hosni Mubarak was a friend to Israel. Talk to me about this man, his significance in the Middle East, and was he really a friend to Israel?
3: Well, he carried on with the peace treaty that the late Anwar Sadat. Of course, he came into power because of the assassination of Sadat for signing the Camp David Peace Accord under Jimmy Carter with Menachem Begin. Mubarak came in in 81. I was in Israel when... Sadat was assassinated. Remember that day very well. Uh, A lot of expectations that the treaty would be dashed, that that would be the end of it, and that nothing else would ever happen. Well, Mubarak uh, kept hold of it, kept it going, kept his alliance. Sadat's uh, change from Russia to the United States as an alliance for Egypt. He kept that in place all those years, and of course eventually was overthrown by the Muslim Brotherhood, basically, and died, as you said, this week. But he will be Fairly fondly remembered in Israel, wasn't a warm peace partner or anything, there wasn't the affection that there was for Sadat. Nevertheless, he kept the treaty, he kept the peace for the most part, he tried to keep the Palestinians in Gaza basically, uh, you know, um, under wraps, not under wraps, but away from uh, violence and that sort of thing. So overall, his record was pretty good.
0: David Dolan, the man who covers the Middle East for us. This is a key region of the world. We want to stay on top of current events happening there as the stage is being set for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. David, a great report. Thank you so very much, my good friend. We'll talk again next week. God bless you, Jimmy. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Winky Madad standing by. He's going to review for us the Israeli elections upcoming next week. How that outcome may well establish maybe a coalition government. We'll see when we talk with Winky Madan. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today.
2: How do you like your news?
0: Welcome back to Prophecy Today. We move now into our second half hour. Some very interesting guests. We're going to be talking to Winky Madad just in a moment, one of our favorite broadcast partners. He's in Shiloh, center part of the state of Israel there in those Jewish communities. We'll be focusing on the historic third election in one year in the state of Israel. So stand by for that. We'll go to Norway, talk to John Rood just briefly, and then we have a brand new economic report we're going to be giving you with all that's going on across this world economically. I thought I would bring a financial advisor, not to give you advice as to what to do in the stock markets, but simply to explain it and help us understand how, in fact, Economics is a key component of government and everything else as it relates to Bible prophecy. Well, I want to remind you also that after the broadcast, Judy and I head down to Rainbow City, Alabama. We're going to be at the Coosa Valley Baptist Church, Pastor John Ritchie. He's invited everyone to come all day Sunday, then Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday evenings. That's the Coosa Valley Baptist Church. Rainbow City, Alabama. Well, let's go to Winky Madad. Winky, this is historic. A third election within a one-calendar year from last year in April to March of this year. And it's going to be the third time people try to get together, vote on members of the Knesset so they can form a coalition government. Why is it, in fact, a capability for Israel to to be able to do this. I mean, is that what the Constitution calls for, or is this just a freak of nature?
4: Well, Jimmy, you hit on one of the main problems. We don't have a Constitution in this country. We have a set of basic laws, and one of them, of course, is elections. And elections in Israel, it's a parliamentary system. In other words, you vote for the parties, and whoever is able to manage a 61-seat majority out of the 120 seats in the Knesset mm-hmm. will then gain the confidence of those 61 majority and become prime minister. Uh, I just want to say it's technically possible for minority government. In other words, if there's say 55, 56 seats only, and one party promises not to vote against the government, but won't support it on uh, major issues, which means that it's going to fall sooner or later. And I think once upon a time, we even had that situation. So the past two elections, Jimmy, neither Mr. Netanyahu, head of the Likud, or Mr. Benny Gantz, head of the Blue and White Party, were able to gain that sixty-one threshold. They came close in the mid-fifties, but none of them were able to because they themselves did not have enough votes. Their coalition partners or their natural coalition partners. Could not add up to 61, mainly because we have this one party, a mainly Russian-oriented party, led by an Lieberman, who refuses to join either bloc.
0: What's he endeavoring to do? Does he want to be prime minister? Is that what he's manipulating here?
4: No, I don't think so. I, I think he doesn't have the capability to be the prime minister or to want to be the prime minister. Uh, the best that I can guess, Jimmy, without... Well, actually, I did talk to him briefly a month and a half ago, uh, but I don't think he likes Mr. Netanyahu very much. And sometimes, Jimmy, the personal in the politics can destroy not only people, not only parties, but also governments. And uh, I think that's the situation now. But the trends of the last couple of days are bringing some surprises.
0: Well, talk to us about those trends as of today today. Where do we stand, blue and white, as compared to Likud?
4: Blue and white, for the first time, has come under Likud. In other words, Likud has between one and two seats advantage over blue and white. That is because, I'm going to guess, three issues. One, Mr. Netanyahu himself for the past two weeks has been on on the road every night, two to three meetings in various different cities. He has been pumping up the uh, enthusiasm, I guess you want to call it, and he's running a tough field campaign out there. Secondly, people are getting tired. They don't want to go to elections a fourth time, I'm guessing, and so they're beginning to come down on Likud's side because of the obvious advantages. Mr. Netanyahu is a friend of President Trump. He's opened up diplomatic vistas all around the world. The economy is booming Security, relatively speaking, for the past 10 years is excellent, etc., etc. And the third element is people are beginning to leave Lieberman's party. Mm. Uh, the polls are showing a drop of at least one going on to two seats. And I know Netanyahu, Bibi, as we call him, has been targeting the Russians in Russian language uh, electioneering. It may be working.
0: It may be working. Would that mean then they do have a a pretty good chance of being able to form a coalition government after this election next week?
4: Jimmy, the last polls that I have seen, and again, I am only as smart as the information I have, and I hope that information is correct, that the polls are showing that Netanyahu is already at around between 58 and 59 which means that if he maintains momentum, and if you know politics, sometimes that's all it is, momentum, next uh, Monday evening he might be able to pull it out that he is, A, the largest party that he could, and B, his natural coalition partners do have enough numbers uh, to put him over that 60 to reach to 61.
0: Now, we're talking, in case you were wondering what Winky was referring to, when he said 58 or 59, that means 58 or 59 members of the Knesset, uh, basically parties with Knesset members in them, joining together into a coalition that are saying they're ready to go for Bibi Netanyahu as the next prime minister. Well, if Libra is out in the cold, would could that possibly uh, uh, cause him to maybe consider trying to change his attitude against Netanyahu and come, become a part of the coalition or not?
4: Jimmy, here we, things become a little bit complex, possibly for our listeners. I'm going to say that Libunin is not going to join Netanyahu. He's sworn off <laughs> Netanyahu. Uh, the animosity is a little bit too hard, but he has party members and uh, like in a similar system, basically, in England, they can jump ranks. Or as they say in England, I think it's cross, crossing the hall. Uh, in other words, say he comes up with seven members of Knesset, who can say that two might break off and go over to Likud. Mm-hmm. Just recently now, uh, we had one member of the Blue and White Party from the Ethiopian community who left and joined Likud. Mm-hmm. And he's on their list now in between the second and his third election. Some members may, as we say in America, jump ship.
0: Mm -hmm. Very interesting how this is all developing. There's never a dull moment in Israeli politics. I've said it. Many have said that to be the case as well. I hate to almost ask this question. What happens next if there is no coalition?
4: If there's no coalition, Jimmy, we have to go to elections a fourth time. Mm. There's no way out.
0: Is there anything in the basic law or any law anywhere in Israel that says that is the case, or is that just what the country moves on ahead to do?
4: Well, we go back to one of the points I made just a couple of minutes ago. Mr. Netanyahu perhaps can get together a minority government. I want to make sure our listeners understand. We have here in Israel a Arab list, which is actually made up of four different component parts you think the Jewish community is split, the Arab community is also split. Mm -hmm. If they come up with around 14, 15 seats, what happens, of course, is that it empties out the middle of the rest of the seats of the parties, but no one wants to bring them into the government, not because they're Arabs. I know that, if I'm not mistaken, the Democratic presidential candidate, Bernie Sanders, called Netanyahu racist and reactionary, but many people say... Uh, he's targeting the Arabs. He's not. He's targeting an Arab party that has expressed support for terrorists, identified with the PLO previously and now with the Palestinian Authority. And that's what he's pointing to. These people, you can't bring them into the government, Jimmy, uh, and say, well, we're going to go to war in Gaza or we're going to a limited operation on the Golan. Mm -hmm. With these people, some of their previous members, like Azmi Bashara, has fled the country because he's a spy for the Hezbollah. So there's a security aspect here, not only elements of maybe they're a different religion, maybe they're a different uh, ethnic community. That's not the point. The point is Israel's military and security needs not to have this particular Arab party in government.
0: Now, what about that minority government you were talking about, though?
4: Well, again, uh, as I said, maybe Lieberman will say, I don't want to. I can't think of it, but I have to be fair to you and the listeners. He could say, "I cannot see the country spending another three billion shekels on elections, so I'm not going to vote against the government." And therefore, there's a minority government because they say there's 57 for right, and blue and white comes up with say 40 something, and leave him in whatever votes he has. Says, "I'm not voting against," hmm. uh, but that's. Very delicate, very uneasy, uh, Sits the crown, I think, if I'm quoting someone from Shakespeare. (laughs) And uh, I don't think Netanyahu would like that, but he probably would go along with it because it's the best way going.
0: Winky, what about the elephant in the room, the court appearance for Prime Minister Netanyahu pretty quickly after the elections? Is that going to change anything at all?
4: In my opinion, no, because it's basically perfunctory. In other words, he shows up. They read off the uh, charge sheet. Mr. Dutton says, I'm innocent. And uh, then they go into recess for a couple of months before the trial starts. These things take uh, a year to two, these yeah. type of trials. Mm-hmm. It's not a murder trial. It's very economic. It's very bureaucratic. Who said what? What agreements were? Uh, and therefore, can be very complicated and take a long time. And as I told some of my friends, I said, if you think that B.B., cannot run the government and show up in court. I think he's doing very good in every single else in every area he's working. Why can't he take time off a couple of hours a week to show up in court?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, it looks then like it may be a coalition government coming into place after next week's election. But if you think it was difficult explaining before the election, wait till after it's over. And Winky, I'm going to ask you to do that with us next week. Just kind of help us to see how everything did come out, what the possibilities for that coalition government may be. Winky, thank you so very much. Great insight you bring to the table. The election of a leader of the state of Israel, the Jewish state of Israel, is key, especially in the prophetic scenario that is found in God's Word. Thank you, Winky. We'll talk after the elections next week.
4: Jimmy, thank you for having me on, despite the, and I apologize to the listeners, for the complexity of the issue, but you and I try our best. Again, thank you very much for having me on. Goodbye to you and our listeners.
0: What a very important report from Winky Madad, looking at the upcoming elections, the third election, by the way, in one year in Israel. Winky will come back, of course, next week, and we'll talk about the results of the election this next week. Right now, we're going to John Rood. Now, we're not going to have a European Union update because John is so tied up. He's meeting with a group of businessmen, somewhat of a think tank operation, and they're there in Norway. And I wanted to just grab him for a moment because Norway, though it is in the continent of Europe, it's not actually in the European Union. John, I know that you're really tied up in this think tank situation, your capability of giving great counsel to these leaders because your relationship with the European Union And, of course, living there in Brussels, Belgium for many years, I would love to have you in a think tank as well so I can understand their interest in you being there. Talk to me just about Norway. I said it was not in the European Union. Actually, what is Norway? How are they related, if any, relationship to the EU?
5: Yes, thank you, Jimmy. I'm glad to share on some of these aspects. Indeed, the business people, they like the way I think, and so it's good to be able to impart Norway is a very special situation in Europe. You have the Schengen Convention countries. Uh, Almost all are from the European Union, back from a treaty that was made in Schengen, Netherlands, many years ago. So if you travel inside of the European Union, some of your destinations you would have to show a passport and some you wouldn't. So, for example, flying from Brussels to London Uh, The United Kingdom, of course, now with Brexit, they're out of the European Union, but at that time they were not a Schengen country. But you could fly from Brussels all the way to the Canary Islands and never have to show a passport because of the Schengen Convention. So the interesting special situation here is that Norway is a Schengen country. So there's actually EU border guards, uh, essentially, that when you cross into Norway and enter Norway, you are at the same time receiving permission to travel into almost virtually all of the European Union nations, uh, certainly all that are in the Schengen Convention countries. So it's something that the EU has various levels, various speeds is the way it's described, various speeds of Europe. And so Norway is a part of the European Free Trade Association, And that was one of the big arguments. Why wasn't the United Kingdom just in the European Free Trade Association all these years as Norway or Iceland? But very interesting, special situation. When you travel into Norway, you have the permission now to travel from here to Brussels or to Paris or to Germany and not even show your passport. You're in the inner community of that. So I thought it would be interesting to bring that out.
0: Thank you very much, John. That's insight that we need to know and understand how the European Union operates and the other nations there in the continent of Europe as well. This does give us information that will assist us in our understanding of Bible prophecy. We'll have some great meetings with these business leaders. Be safe as you travel, and uh, we'll talk to you again next week at home here in the United States with your European Union update. Thank you, John. Thank you so very much. John Rood is in Norway, as he told us early on, and he is helping us to understand how the other nations, non-European Union nations in the continent of Europe, play a role in what's happening there as well, as is the case when you look at the prophetic scenario found in God's Word and the revival of the Roman Empire. Always good to have John Rude along with us. Well, I'm going to introduce to you a brand new broadcast partner. I wanted to have somebody that I could talk with about the financial situation, the economics of this world, why it's happening, what's taking place, and then of course, if you'll remember, The Antichrist, after he desecrates that temple in the city of Jerusalem, midway point of the seven-year tribulation period, he's going to move his headquarters over to the literal city of Babylon, Babylon located on the shores of the Euphrates River, about 58 miles out of downtown Baghdad there in Iraq. He will set up a worldwide economic, political, governmental system. But if you look at chapter 16 of the book of Revelation, starting there in verse 17, uh, that city of Babylon, the literal city of Babylon now, we're not talking about New York City because of what people might think about a financial center and an international center with the United Nations. But instead, there in modern-day Iraq, where Babel was begun by Nimrod, you go back to Genesis chapter 11 and verse 4 for that information. So in chapter 16 of the book of Revelation, we also see that the kings of the east are going to come into the land of the Bible. And when you think about the kings of the east, you must think about China one of the major players in the eastern part of the world. I want to set the stage. I want to lay the foundation with our next broadcast partner to help us up ultimately understand how this all comes together. The man is going to be at the mic side with me, R.C. Morrill. And he has a 35-year background as a financial advisor. He's worked with, well, if I was to give the list and it's too long, I'm not going to do that. If I was to do it, you'll see they are the major financial companies of the world here, especially in the United States. He has been a man in uh, these firms all the way up the ladder, all the way to senior vice president in some of them. And, RC, I just know that there's a lot of questions. I'm somewhat of a layman. Now, let me just say, I do have two stocks. Uh, My son encouraged my wife and I, Judy and I, to purchase early on the Facebook stock, and we were able to do pretty good on that. And then my father gave us a stock, an airline stock, that he gave to us uh, just before his death. And. You know, But I enjoyed just kind of having a little fun. I'm not a big stock man, but I enjoyed having a little bit of fun with those stocks. And let me ask you just the very beginning. This is Economics 101. The stock market has lost about 2,000 points. Now, how does that happen? Just tell me, explain it to a layman how that does take place.
6: You know, Jimmy, mostly what we're seeing, especially this past week, is uncertainty and fear. And those are two things the market uh, always reacts rather violently to. This stock market has seen three 1,000-point drops in the past few days, uh, which we really haven't seen this type of volatility since the 2008 financial crisis. So there's definitely people on edge. You know, as of Wednesday night, the market was down a little over 8%. With Thursday's drop, we were down a little over 10% from the high, meaning we are officially in correction mode. We're in a market correction, 10% defined a market correction. But keep in mind that a, a bear market only occurs with a 20% correction, so we're still a long way from
0: that. R.C., let me ask this so I can really understand it. You're talking about uh, the stock market has lost about uh, 3,000 points in the last couple of days. How do they lose? What do investors, they just decide to sell their stocks and get out of the market? Is that basically what it is?
6: Fear uh, governs a lot of the individual investors. But for institutions like banks and hedge funds, Jimmy, algorithms will trigger computer selling, which is rapid-fire selling, and that will cause a huge drop in prices. I think most individual investors are kind of on the trying to decide what to do with everything happening so quickly, I would doubt that most of the volume we're seeing on the big board of the New York Stock Exchange is happening by individual people. It's mostly institutions, I think, at this
0: point. Now, what about the media? I understand the media. Some refer to it as the fake media, but they are a great influence in our world. Do they have influence on the stock market as well?
6: Yeah, the, the the media has a major influence because of 24-7 headlines. And since most of the mainstream media is progressive, negative headlines are nonstop. I mean, Rush Limbaugh commented on Tuesday that the left will weaponize the virus against the president, hopes it will weaken the economy and put a Democrat in office. In other words, they're willing for the country to suffer a recession in order to get rid of
0: President Trump. Boy, that's an interesting thought from old Rush Limbaugh. What about the coronavirus? What part is it playing in this economic situation, not only here in America, but actually across the world?
6: You know, it's an interesting question. There are several uh, market analysts that I follow that are starting to think that there's more than just a virus going on here. We've had two uh, major debates on the Democratic side this past week, and, and one particular analyst who who said that he believed that uh, the market is looking at a 50% chance of the socialists uh, coming into the Democratic nomination, which is causing a lot of fear on top of the virus.
0: And what about China's economic power? They have, is that key? And is since they're the major supply line, is that going to have an effect on the economies of the world?
6: It will. You know, China is a major manufacturer of everything from clothing to microchips to prescription drugs. A disruption in that supply chain will cause corporate earnings to drop, as we saw with Apple and Microsoft warning that future earnings will be affected. You know, the big thing to watch here is the Federal Reserve, who so far has been very quiet. Some analysts think the Fed will at some point provide stimulus to the market by dropping interest rates. Another thing to watch is that the stock market often prices in worst-case scenarios And at some point will be oversold and rallies can happen at a time and often when people least expect them. Most important thing, Jimmy, is that a diversified, balanced portfolio made up of quality stocks, bonds, and alternative investments will protect investors. You know, I'd like to borrow from the book of Esther and say, for such a time as this.
0: Yeah. (laughs) That's an interesting connection to that wonderful book of Esther. I had the opportunity on Wednesday night to sit and watch President Trump make his speech about uh, the the virus situation not only in China but over there in Japan in Italy in Iran and here even in the United States did you get a chance to watch that RC i
6: I did um, absolutely and uh, to me i I'm a fan so I would find I found the president's words to be uh To be quite good. Uh, The problem is that the media is trying to spin it Mm -hmm. in negative ways, as they've done with pretty much everything else he's done. So while we had while we had a a good task force trying to do the best they can, it'll never be enough for the left, and and so they're trying to spin it in a in a negative way.
0: You know what? uh, I really can't find the answers. I wanted to talk about the subject of this virus, the coronavirus, but. Never could find what I might thought to be the truth. Uh, you hear something from a United States senator. There's 50,000 deaths. And then out of China comes the word. There's about 2,700 to 3,000 deaths. And then when you look at the situation here in the United States, what did the president say? I think he said something like fifty or 60,000 deaths From just ordinary flu. So you don't know what to believe. It's pretty difficult, but uh, we do have to continue to trust in the Lord to realize how we're going to come through this and ultimately come to what Bible prophecy calls for, aren't we?
6: Yes, that's exactly
0: right. That is absolute. That is for sure. Well, RC, thank you. Man, you have just given us a bit of insight. This will not be the only time that we have a conversation. I wanted to lay a basic foundation for our discussions. I think we've done that. You've helped me to better understand and if I can understand, I'm sure all of our smart listeners will be able to understand as well. Thank you, R.C. Appreciate it. We'll talk again real soon.
6: Thank you, Jimmy. God bless everyone listening.
0: I want to remind you also that after the broadcast, Judy and I head down to Rainbow City, Alabama. We're going to be at the Coosa Valley Baptist Church. Pastor John Ritchie. He's invited everyone to come all day Sunday, then Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday evenings. That's the Coosa Valley Baptist Church, Rainbow City, Alabama. We're going to take a break, and when we come back on the other side of the news, David James standing by. We're going to have a conversation with him about miracles. You do not want to miss that one either. It's right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody, Jimmy DeYoung, and welcome back to Prophecy Today. I've got about a half hour left. If you'll stay tuned, you'll get every bit of the information that I wanted to pass along to you coming from our broadcast partners, Ken Timmerman in France, John Rude over there in Norway, and Winky Madad in Israel. We're so thrilled to be able to have these broadcast partners give us insight into the current events. You can listen to them, and if you missed any of them, go to my website, prophecytoday.com. There, go to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network. You'll be able to see that they've been archived. You can listen to these reports. At your convenience. Right after the broadcast, Judy and I head over to Rainbow City, Alabama. The Coosa Valley Baptist Church has invited us for a four day prophecy conference Sunday through Wednesday, all day Sunday, and then Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday evening. We're going to be looking at current events in light of biblical prophecy. This is a key time in the history of our world. Today, we need to understand the Prophetic scenario found in god 's Word, Pastor John Ritchie invites you to come join us as we study the prophetic Word of God. We now bring to these microphones David James, David, and I have a conversation every week. We look at an issue that is confronting the body of Christ, the church, we as Christians, and David and I try to give you a biblical perspective on the issue so that it will help each and every one of us be able to walk daily with the Lord on a biblical principle-driven type of life. We're going to do that again with David. David has just returned home after almost three weeks of international ministry in Uganda and Ethiopia. And now he's trying to work at getting over an eight-hour jet lag that is upon him, David, let me just ask you about that. I'm not going to ask you about the jet lag. I know what that is, but about the plane coming back, was it totally full? What about the coronavirus and its effect on the airlines industry? Did you recognize that?
7: My plane that came from Frankfurt to Chicago was not full, and so I was able to have three seats to myself and be able to get (laughs) some sleep on the way home, and then uh, one of the guys who was in uh, the conference with me in Ethiopia. He flew from London to Houston, and he said his plane was only about one quarter full, so that was actually pretty unusual for us.
0: Did the conference go well? I know that you mentioned you had maybe 30 people there, but that's key. It's not We're not in America where the big conferences take place. We're in Ethiopia where the Christian leaders can come together. How was the conference? How did it end up?
7: Well, it it was really great, Jimmy. You know, just to give you an example of some of the things we run into when we're teaching overseas, I taught God's plan through the ages, and that concludes with a quick overview of the book of Revelation and the Lord establishing His kingdom of righteousness. And afterward, there was this dear lady who came up to me to say that she had been terrified to read Revelation, but Mm. with a huge smile on her face, she told me she now has hope. And, you know, it's this kind of thing that makes all the very tough international travel completely worth it. And another reason this particular course is so important is that with the extreme charismatic movement being a serious problem, all over Africa, uh, there is very little good Bible teaching at all, and within the Pentecostal and charismatic movements, the emphasis is on the responsibility of the Church to establish the kingdom right now, which it cannot do, and then there's the emphasis on signs, wonders, and the prosperity gospel.
0: Well, that leads us into to our main topic for the week, which I wanted to discuss because I know you teach a course on signs, wonders, and the charismatic movement. And you did that in Uganda this last year. As you said, it's a serious problem there. So let's think about that for a few moments.
7: Well, it's definitely a problem, and almost every one of my students in Uganda had some experience with this, either having grown up in it or some family and friends who belong to either a Pentecostal or a charismatic church, and many have been in meetings where people believe the sign gifts of the Spirit are being practiced. Uh, as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago on the program, I had students there not only from Uganda, but also from Kenya, Malawi, Rwanda, Zimbabwe, South Sudan, and the Democratic Republic of Congo. So this was a good cross-section of Christianity in Africa, and when it comes to teaching the Bible, a major problem is that either the charismatic teachers use the same handful of verses over and over again, or they twist other passages to mean something completely different than what was intended by the biblical authors. And this is the problem not only in Africa, but I run into it all over the world. Uh, For example, just a few days ago, I was in a theological discussion with someone in a Facebook group, and one of his comments was that you couldn't take the Bible literally and come to the conclusion that God isn't giving the sign gifts today. And when we say sign gifts, we mean things like tongues, interpretation of tongues, prophecy, the gift of healing, and so on. And my response to him was, that is exactly how I come to this conclusion after studying the Word of God for over 35 years, by using a literal, grammatical, historical method of interpretation, something we do each and every week on this program.
0: Well, David, you and I had already decided to discuss this topic a few days ago, and then I understand when you got home from your trip, you had received a letter from one of our listeners who had heard us discuss the issue before, and he is persuaded that the Holy Spirit does continue to give those signed gifts to the church. Your thoughts?
7: Well, it's interesting how the Lord puts things like this together, Jimmy. You know, we're, we're always thankful when our listeners take time to write, whether they agree or disagree with us. And I, I don't want to give too many details that might reveal this listener's identity, but I think we can discuss his concerns without doing that. And I would guess that there are other listeners out there who, who might agree with him as well. So first, I want to say that although he disagrees with us, his letter was very kind and thoughtful. And he began by writing this. I have listened to your commentary on the Prophecy Today show with Dr. Jimmy DeYoung for some time. I have found many of your comments to be helpful in my own Christian growth. Thank you for your research and preparing comments on contemporary issues. Thank you for your clear analysis in our world from a biblical perspective. So he didn't really have a harsh axe to grind in this. And then he went on to give some details about his personal testimony, about how he came to know Christ as Savior, and then how he came to embrace the Pentecostal understanding of the gifts of the Spirit. Uh, He's an older gentleman who had been saved as a young boy in a series of revival meetings in a church that teaches the sign gifts had ceased by the end of the apostolic era. But as a young man, as he was going through a sort of spiritual crisis, he was exposed to Pentecostal theology and came to believe that the baptism of the Holy Spirit, with evidence of speaking in tongues, is a second work of God in the belief. Life after salvation.
0: You know, as I read the letter, which you typed out and sent to me, there were several things that caught my attention, so I wanted to take a moment and discuss a couple of those with you. One was that he wrote, and let me quote here, "...the book of Acts does indicate the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a subsequent experience of salvation."
7: Well, Acts is structured around the expansion of the gospel into the known world, following the pattern that Jesus talked about in Acts 1-8, where he says, "...you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth." So in Acts 2, on the day of Pentecost, there were Jews in Jerusalem from all over the world, and when the Holy Spirit came upon those in the upper room, they spoke in the languages of those Jews from the nations. But the Jews from Jerusalem and Judea couldn't understand them, so tongues on that day became a sign of the day of the Lord's judgments as prophesied in the Old Testament and as confirmed by Peter. Then in Acts chapter 8, Samaritans were getting saved, and the Jewish leadership, in Jerusalem was skeptical, so they sent Peter and John to check it out. Now, tongues aren't mentioned there, but that's probably what happened, uh, given their reaction. Then in Acts chapter 10, the Gospel reaches the Gentiles through Peter and other Jews from Jerusalem, and they're amazed when they hear them speaking in languages they hadn't learned, so again, it was a sign to the Jerusalem leadership. And then finally, in Acts 19, Paul finds Jews in Ephesus who were baptized by John the Baptist and they spoke in languages they hadn't learned after believing the gospel of Christ. Now those are the only instances of speaking in tongues in the book of Acts. There's only three, and then probably the fourth one in Acts chapter 8. So it's not that everyone spoke in languages they hadn't learned. It was a sign of judgment in Acts 2, and then a sign to the apostles that God was expanding his work to the world in chapters 8, 10, and 19, and thus setting Israel aside during the church age, so again, I would say it was a sign of judgment against the nation of
0: Israel. Another point made by our listener, David, is one that we hear all the time when either you or myself uh, suggest that the sign gifts have ceased, and here's the statement, Jesus, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, that's quoting Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 8, and with the idea that if this was happening in the first century, then it must be happening today.
7: Well, first of all, we know from John chapter one verse three and Colossians 1.16 and other passages that Jesus is the creator, which means that we can't start this discussion in Acts chapter two. We must go back to Genesis chapter one. So while the Lord doesn't change, the way he does things does change as he carries out his plan in history. And this can be seen by the fact that the Lord started giving tongues and other sign gifts of the Spirit just two thousand years ago, after over four thousand years of of history had already passed, and if we go back to the beginning of history, there's a clear pattern that emerges concerning when and why the Lord intervenes with what I call bursts of revelation and signs and wonders. And we find that after long periods with little or no revelation and even fewer miracles, prophets arose and signs and wonders happened, and they were often connected with judgment against wickedness and unbelief. This happened with the flood, the Tower of Babel, the Exodus, Elijah and Elisha and it will happen again in the future with the judgments of the tribulation period after the rapture. And also, Bible teachers often call the time between the Testaments, from Malachi to John the Baptist, the era of silence, and the reason is there's no record of revelation or miracles during that time. So if the Lord has established this pattern concerning His work in history, then the question is, is it possible or even likely that we're living in such a time in history? And I would suggest that it is.
0: You know, one of the main points at the end of the letter that uh, this listener to our broadcast sent to us, that since Pentecostalism is so large and growing so quickly around the world, it must be of God. How do you respond to this particular point?
7: Well, first, neither sincerity nor apparent success are tests of truth. Uh, Everything must be evaluated against the Word of God. If sincerity were the test of truth, then what about over a billion sincere Catholics, or over a billion sincere Muslims, and over a billion sincere Hindus? Sincerity is just not a test of truth. For example, in the Philippines, the fastest-growing segment of Christianity is the Roman Catholic Charismatic Movement, and there is a convergence of the Charismatic Movement and Catholicism in many places around the world. This is a problem. And in my course on Science, Wonders, and the Charismatic Movement, I demonstrate that the claims of the Charismatic Movement just don't match up with the Word of God and what happened in the first century. For example, when I go through uh, 1 Corinthians chapters 12, 13, and 14, uh, I've identified 21 rules and principles that must govern the use of tongues in the Church, and those just aren't being met today. And these include that they must be... Be real languages. Only two or three can speak in a given church service, and then only one at a time and only with an interpreter. And in fact, women are forbidden from speaking in tongues or prophesying in the church in that context in chapter 14. Also, if someone claims to be able to heal, then I will pay their travel to anywhere in the world to heal a child with a cleft palate, mm. Down syndrome, a missing limb, or other congenital birth defect, with the stipulation that if they fail, they'll give me back twice the cost of the ticket. This is very serious business, and I take it very seriously.
0: Wow, that's a very interesting offer. I really doubt if anybody will take you up on it. Well, this is key, and this discussion, I believe, was very important for our listeners today, especially the one who sent us the letter. Let me just say, we did not even go into the fact that Satan And the Antichrist and the false prophet, the satanic trinity, according to Revelation 13, Revelation 16, verses 13 to 16, will also be involved in signs, wonders, and miracles. That's what brings all the world to the city of Jerusalem, ultimately, for the campaign of Armageddon. That's another discussion for another time. But David, this was key. Thank you for your research. Thank you for interacting with me about it. We'll do something similar next week. Thanks so much, Jimmy. It's always good to be with you. Going to take a quick break when we come back. I'm going to bring together all the reports from our broadcast partners, and then we'll take a look at the book. It's all ahead here on Prophecy Today.
2: Call Joshua Travel today at 423-821-3635 to find out more about this trip of a lifetime, or you can visit us online at joshuatravel.com.
0: It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. On Prophecy Today weekend, we went around the world to make contact with our broadcast partners, and to get their reports on current events around this world today. We went to France, for example, to talk with Ken Timmerman, Norway, in a conversation with John Rude, and then Israel, we talked with Winky Madad about the upcoming elections. All of our broadcast partners, those in overseas locations and the ones here in America, always bring details to us on these events that no one else is covering. These reports are key to those of us who are students of Bible prophecy. If you missed any of the reports, please go to my website, prophecytoday.com, then go to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network, where you'll find the archived editions of all of my broadcast conversations. You'll be able to listen to them at your convenience at prophecytoday.com, Prophecy Today Radio Network. Be sure to tell a friend. They need to hear these reports as well. Well, today on the broadcast, we talk with my broadcast partners about a number of issues. For example, In France, we got a hold of Ken Timmerman. We talked about Turkey and Russia at war in Syria. Remember, the United States pulled out of Turkey a couple of months back. That was then leaving a vacuum, which Turkey was able to fill immediately. They wanted to go into Syria because of the Kurds. We have Kurds in Iran, Turkey, Syria, and Iraq. And the ones in Syria are the ones concerning Tayyip Erdogan, who's the president of Turkey. He's much concerned. They come in and try to take him down. By the way, there were 30. Turkish military personnel killed this week. Erdogan got on the phone immediately. He called Vladimir Putin, asked him to stop killing his military personnel. And then he called President Trump and he said, Can you deal with Russia and Syria on this situation? We don't want to go to war. Well, the Bible does say that they will come as a coalition, not in a conflict, but as a coalition to try to wipe Israel. Off the face of the earth, that is, down the road, it's absolute. God's Word says it. That's the books of Daniel and Ezekiel, Ezekiel 38, Daniel chapter 11. David Dolan talked about the Trump peace plan that actually could take the Temple Mount away from the Muslims and give it to Israel. This, of course, has the Muslims and especially the Palestinians very much concerned. Now, here's what would happen. The plan, if you look at it very closely, will give the Temple Mount sovereignty to Israel. That means Israel will control the Temple Mount all the way around. It's by word. Now it will be by fact at that point in time. They also would take the custodial responsibilities away from Jordan, open up a new avenue to direct what happens on the Temple Mount, and all non-Muslim prayers will be available. They're saying, let's let everybody from every faith pray. Now, this is what the Bible says will happen in the future, in the kingdom to come. Uh, The Trump plan is talking about it happening right now. Uh, That would mean that the Israelis would receive control of the Temple Mount and be able to do what they want to up there, taking that away from the Muslim world. Winky Madad talked about the Israeli elections. You've got to remember, this will be the third election within one year. Netanyahu seems to be in the lead right now. If you were to have the vote today, the polls say he would be able to form a coalition. Now, this is a unstable time in Israel, so they need to be able to form this coalition government. The old saying is, three strikes and you're out. We do not want to even think about going to a fourth election. This instability is an open door for Israel's enemies. John Rood, we did not get a report from him because he's traveling. He was in Norway, meeting there as a consultant with a group of business leaders in Norway. But we did talk about the fact, though Norway is not in the European Union, they would be a part of that revived Roman Empire. That whole continent has to come back to power, according to Daniel chapters 2 and 7. We had a brand-new broadcast partner with us, R.C. Morrow. He is a financial advisor. We brought him on the broadcast. He knows Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. He has been listening to our broadcast for over 10 years, a supporter of our ministry. And I thought it would be great for him to come on and explain the impact of the coronavirus on the United States and world economies. This is a very important issue to deal with, especially in the last days. Economics is key in the end times. For example, in Babylon, the Antichrist will set up a one-world economic, political, governmental system. That's Revelation chapter 18. Chapter 13 says that anybody who is going to buy or sell will have to have a mark on their forehead or the back of the hand. And it is interesting that in chapter 16 of the book of Revelation, in verse 12, the kings of the east, now that would be China, the kings of the east are going to be in partnership with the Antichrist located in Babylon boy, that is looking like what the scenario is unfolding to be today. As you study God's prophetic word, we can recognize where indeed we are in God's time for the future. Looks like we're right upon it. And let me just talk about what David James and I had to discuss. We discussed miracles, there are many people say, well, can't the Lord perform miracles today? The answer is yes. We do not tell God what he can do. We simply tell you what he says. And there are four verses in the Scriptures, Matthew 24, verses 4, 5, 11, and 24, that says deception will be a way that the Antichrist will take over the world. Now, not only can the Lord perform miracles, Satan, Antichrist, and the false prophet Can perform miracles as well. Revelation chapter 16, verses 13, 14, and 15. What should we do about the satanic activity that seemingly is increasing in our world as we get closer to the time of the return of Christ? Ephesians chapter 6 verses 10 to 18, put on the whole armor of God that you may able to stand against the devil in the last days. And remember James chapter 4 verse 7, draw nigh unto the Lord and the devil will have to flee from you. All of these reports indicative of the fact that the next event on God's calendar is the rapture of the church. By the way, that rapture could actually happen today. And having said that, nothing left for me to say, except let's keep looking up until. Thank you so much
2: for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today.